as someone who draws often from the Buddhist tradition and its wisdom in my life, and as someone who a little less wisely spends a lot of time online and social media in my life, I have found that there is an indispensable resource that I need. FakeBuddhaQuotes.com. <laughs> it is a thing. Before you ever post anything attributed to the Buddha, check it. Sometimes you get things that the Buddha did not come close to saying, such as this. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. You can believe that or not believe that. But the Buddha didn't, any, didn't come close to saying that. It actually comes from like 2,000 years after the Buddha, from the very metaphysical, theosophical tradition. If you're interested, look it up. But the Buddha didn't say it. Sometimes people will post something that sounds like the Buddha could have said it, maybe pointing in that direction. But he didn't say it like this. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. By the way, that picture is doubly wrong because that's not even the Buddha. <laughs> that is a, uh, a Chinese Buddhist analog of our Santa Claus figure in the West. It's all these universal archetypes, folks. That's all religion is about. He said uh, it's like 25% of that, maybe. But he didn't say it. And so this is a great thing about fakebuddhaquotes.com. You can go and they will give you where it comes from and how the Buddha didn't say it. And so actually this comes of like, you know, 50, 60 years ago out of the 12-step tradition. Sometimes the misattribution is so egregious that it won't even wind up on fakebuddhaquotes.com. Such as, chill homie, you need... To let that shit go. I'm not saying it's wrong. <laughs> but the Buddha didn't say it. This, of course, is a, a generalized problem on the Internet. Honest Abe tells us so. The problem with Internet quotes is that you can't always depend on their accuracy. By the way, I love the hipster glasses. If this, was, uh, if this was a full picture, the bottom half of that dark suit would be skinny jeans. Trust me. <laughs> One of the most famous uh, internet misattributed quotes is this one, of which there's just a section here. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It started to be attributed to Nelson Mandela and his amazing inauguration speech in 1994, I believe it was. He did not say it. Marianne Williamson said it. Marianne Williamson, who some of you may know through her work on The Course in Miracles. She's been enlightening for many people. She's not, not by far one of my primary teachers, although I think especially for someone who's associated with kind of new age thinking, she has a really profound, deep and incisive uh, sense of social justice and social conscience. She's the one who said this. And so all apologies to Marianne Williamson. I don't agree with this for me. My deepest fear has been exactly that I am inadequate. So I tell you all this a little over halfway through this year of transition when I approached the congregation last May 31st as Carl and Reverend Lee talked about 
that I said, I, I really need to shift. I want to stay. I want to stay in relationship with you as one of your ministers. And I feel called from the very depths of my being to shift away from a organizational, executive, managerial, administrative ministry, which is important and has integrity and is incredibly important for where we are right now. But it's not my call anymore and shift into a more contemplative, more pastoral form of ministry to stay here with you and in a very different way. It's all that belonging stuff, that stuff about, uh, you know, feeling connected, that deepest fear about inadequacy. This made this decision for me the couple years leading up to it incredibly painful and maybe slower than I would have liked it to have been. I can begin to explain that to you by way of these ministry boxes that we use in our Wellsprings 2.0 Listening to Our Lives small group that we run at least twice a year here at Wellsprings. It's a wonderful way to get connected more deeply into our values and beliefs with other people in the community. We'll be doing it again this spring. So this is a way of kind of identifying gifts, skills, maybe things you don't want to be doing that you are doing. And it kind of lines up this way. I'm not good at and I don't like. Box number one. Box number one. Balancing my checkbook, definitely a box number one, all the way up to, you know, box number four, bliss stuff I'm good at and I like doing. And my worst moments being hard on myself, and I'm uh, often more hard on myself than I think I should be. Um, I would evaluate my ministry here, particularly those administrative, managerial, organizational stuff, and put a lot of it in box one. I'm not good at it and I don't like it. But that's not really truthful. Uh, The actual fact is that Wellsprings would not have grown and not have thrived if over the year, uh, over the years, I was really terrible at all those administrative things. And so the truth is, and it's a trickier truth, that many of the parts of my job that I'm now beginning to let go of, and we have a vision of this congregation transforming and becoming more healthy, were things that maybe I was good at, but I did not like at all. They were not a fit to me. So why was it so difficult to let go of? Because I wanted to be my friends. That image, that idol, if you will, of the entrepreneurial, think outside the box, think beyond the box, blow up the box, rock star minister that does it all, founds a congregation, I wanted to be that person so badly. Because a lot of those things were said to me. And it felt good. But I'm not that person. I fed at the ego trough doing things that are important to Wellsprings that will be done better because I'm not going to be doing them any longer. I continue to feed at that ego trough of the entrepreneurial rock star, blah, beyond the box, all that because... Not because I'm besotted with myself and my own ego, but because I was afraid. I was afraid that if I were to fail at being your lead minister, that it would be another check mark in the box, the scorecard I had been running my entire life. Another inadequacy that would tell me I don't belong. I don't want to believe this about myself. I certainly don't believe it about your life or about life in general. But it's tough to let go of some of these messages, particularly as a man, particularly when you're told 
you want to feel good about yourself, you've got to be the man. There's all these kind of cultural messages that we get. Uh, some of them I heard through uh, this fellow. I think you all know LeBron James. Uh, by the way, if you're from Cleveland or associated with Cleveland, uh, I apologize. This is not defending what he did in moving from Cleveland to Miami for the championships. This is not about that. I think he did that in an egregiously uh, painful way for the people of Cleveland who have suffered enough. No, this is about a story that grew up in the blogosphere about LeBron James. That if LeBron James really wanted to consider himself to be the greatest of all time, wanted to consider himself to be in the company of Michael Jordan, he would have done what Michael Jordan did. He would have been the man that made everyone bow to his will. He would have been the absolute captain of the ship instead of what LeBron James did, which is go seek out with his friends to play with in Miami assured that they were going to win some championships together. He wasn't tough enough to be the man. Real men don't ask for help. I don't believe this. But the truth is I had internalized it over the years growing up as a man in this culture. In spite of all my real, firm, and heartfelt feminist convictions about all the harmful ways, constricting ways, that men are taught to be men in this society. I don't agree with any of them. But those images of masculinity took hold, especially when I was stressed. And so I played out that script. That I should just suck it up. Keep doing what I'm doing. Because that's the way to belong. That's the way to feel good about myself. Because if I couldn't suck it up, then I was going to be inadequate. I was going to be a failure. I better kept keep on achieving because failure is not an option i don't believe that for a second but some part of me did this drive to achieve overachieve drive ourselves to the point of exhaustion many of us know it reverend lee talked about it in a message she gave a few weeks ago some beautiful words about her drive to be an overachiever many of us do recognize that uh, there's a little heuristic, a little teaching device about uh, recognizing what our core motivations are in this life for doing what we do. A, for achievement, to B, for belonging, C, for change. Maybe you recognize there's a primary one for you. I have done a lot of A and a lot of C in my life. I've published books and I've gotten Decent, well, UU-style press, so, you know, it's not like big press. Um, but I've achieved a lot of good things. And I've even changed a lot of things. I mean, I'm part of the last decade of Unitarian Universalism, a conversation about changing what spiritual community, progressive spiritual community can be. The truth of it is this, is that for all of the being a change agent and for all of the achievement, it never made the longing for belonging real for me. In fact, the more I pursued the desire to achieve, the desire to change myself, other people, the world, the further at times the goal of true belonging, true heartfelt belonging, receded in front of me. So that's why, my friends, it was so difficult for me to let go of this role of lead minister because I had invested so much in that identity. Belonging, the B, 
That's my God-shaped hole. It always has been. Some of you may be aware of that phrase from here at Wellsprings or from 12-step work or from psychological work you've done. Here's the thing. The way I was trying to fill that God-shaped hole is not how you fill a God-shaped hole. (laughs) It can't be filled once and done with achievement or ego or the kind of things that make you feel stable and secure. What I've come to believe, especially in the last year and especially in these last seven months, as I've been more clear with you about who I am and also about who we can be together, what I've come to believe is that the way a God-shaped hole is filled is the same way the river fills a riverbed. It's not static. It's not stuck. It flows and it grows. And if you think about a section of a river... It is simultaneously emptying itself out in the faith and in the trust that it will be simultaneously renewed and refreshed. The river is actually never filled, not in a static way. Always open, always emptying, always being refilled. This is the most healing realization I have come to in my life. And I'm 45 Uh, So I guess I'm a few years into what they call the second half of life. And this is what it has taught me. That grace is real. Grace is the most real thing. And when I say grace, I'm not talking about grace. Oh, save me. Get me out of this scrape. Get me out of this bind that I probably put myself in, by the way. That's not the kind of grace I'm talking about. It's the kind of grace that says irreducibly, unchangeably, There is an unbreakable connection beyond belief consisting of belonging and belovedness that we already are and that is already here for us. I cannot prove this to you. I just know it in the depths of my own heart. It comes up most regularly every single day when I sit in the silence with only myself and I observe what's going on and I see in that contemplative fashion somehow pointing to this larger truth that my heart cracks open over and over and over This has finally given me the belonging that I need, and out of it, I am able to be more honest with everyone in my life. And this brings us to today. From the wonderful things you heard from Reverend Lee and from Carl about who we are at this season. For me, it is about belonging to and with and for each other in spiritual community in a deeper way. Belonging, to be really real, can't be something abstract. Belonging needs a body. All this cosmic stuff about belonging, it needs a form. It needs some structure. It needs relationship. This is why spiritual community matters. This is why what the response team has done and the transition team is going to do matters. It's why I have such excitement for it. And it's also why I have such gratitude because I tell you this absolutely truthfully, what they come up, came up with, I could never have come up with on my own. It is so much better and it is only me getting out of the way that allowed it to come to the fore. And I also have to tell you that I don't think in terms of structures and pillars. That's, that's not the way my mind conceptualizes the world. I think in terms of relationships. And those pillars are about relationship. They're about collaboration and trust, and challenging each other, and expressing the ministry of this congregation in a deeper way than we have to this point. That's why I trust it. That's why I'm grateful for it. And it's about more than just us here, by the way. It is also an antidote to what we see all over our world. 
toxic stuff. I saw it the week I was in Haiti. I got plenty of Haiti stories. I just don't have enough time or space to tell you today. I will tell you more Haiti stories in the weeks to come. But I don't know why. Uh, in the last week or so since I've been back, I've decided to watch the big short about the collapse of our financial system that almost brought so many of us to ruin. Perhaps it did for you. I saw spotlight where even more painfully we learned of the deep truth the deep and terrible truth of how the Catholic hierarchy in Boston and many other places protected its own at the expense of the innocence, the bodies, the sacredness of its children. We don't just have to look at movies. We can look at what's going on in Flint, Michigan right now. See multiple systemic failures. Our money, our faith, our government failing us. Breaking trust. Now, if it were enough work to just break down the false idols and expose the truth, that would be wonderful. We'd be in the free and clear right now because we're breaking idols all over the place. But it's not. Rarely does breaking faith in and of itself, even if it's a false faith, lead to healing. This is why what we are seeing in our country right now is a toxic, fear-based, paranoid politics that wants to blame others. For our own challenges. This is why any act of trust, any act of healthy collaboration, any act of going deeper together is actually not just contributing to the health of Wellsprings, it is contributing to the health of the world and the healing of the world because even if all our systems fail us, we're still relational creatures. <laughs> We are made of, from, and for one another. And this is what excites me most about what's going on here at Wellsprings, is we are taking the truth of that deepest revelation, which is that at the core of everything is relationship, and we are trusting it even more. It is healing. It is liberating. And this is why it's not just about the structures. This is an invitation into deeper relationship with each other to, yes, yes, achieve even more but have that achievement come out of the place of belonging to, for, and with each other. And then that achievement will be wholesome, not just ego-based. And so seeing what's been going on around me, that I've been a part of at times in the last few months, but I haven't been orchestrating, what I see going on is a renewal of Wellsprings. An absolute renewal of our spirit, our animating nature. Chris talked about this. This is the planting team energy right now. Because the cool thing is, just sometimes the way the universe works, about one year from today, we'll be celebrating our 10th birthday, our 10th birthday since we launched. And, you know, 10 is just a number, but it's a cool number. It's a double-digit number. And so what I see actually going on here since before today, but especially starting today, is a season of renewal at Wellsprings. There will be this transition work, which if you are called to it, I invite you. Talk to Carl. Talk to members of the response team. Talk to Reverend Lee. Talk to me. There is space for you within that. And then this summer, the new organization, the co-ministry, and all the support for that and the support for all of us goes into effect. And then next fall, Reverend Lee and I are going to do a message series, but it's going to be more than a message series. It's going to be, I think, a mindset here at Wellsprings that we're simply going to call Renew. And invite us, not just at Wellsprings, but beyond Wellsprings, to renew the deepest commitments, promises, and covenants of our hearts. Now, I am looking forward to doing this work with my own marriage, my own wife. 
Um, and like we say, uh, we, you know, when we want to uh, renew our vows with our spouse, if we have this kind of relationship, it does not mean we go out and look for another spouse. <laughs> it means that we're seeking to foster within the relationships that we have that which is best, that which may need some work, and reflect on those vows, commitments, and covenants so we can foster who we are and what is best in who we are. So today the clock kind of starts ticking on renewal at Wellsprings. And I'm so excited and so grateful to be a part of this season because the truth is is that the work that I am giving up has such integrity and is so important to the future of who we are and it will be better for me not doing it and it will be better that other people are doing it. Crickets chirping. (laughs) Cannot tell if that's because you're so wrapped in attention or... Hurry up, get on with it. All right, I'm coming to the close. (laughs) This is the truth in relationship about risk and vulnerability, and so I offer you this final story today that is about opening from our questions and not what we already know or not what we feel assured of and perhaps even opening to the places which we feel we don't belong. It is a Hasidic tale from the Jewish tradition in which I grew up, although I was not taught this tradition. I wish I would have been. This story of a Rabbi Hanuk and a Rabbi Bunim centuries ago Rabbi Bunim was the kind of avowed, understood spiritual master. He was the senior teacher in the lineage. And Rabbi Hanuk, he was a younger rabbi. And he yearned for an entire year to go to his senior teacher with his questions, with his doubts, with his hungers, with his hurts, with his hopes, with his desire for healing. But he judged himself not worthy. He didn't think he was man enough. And so he kept all these questions to himself. Until one day, and this very, hap- very often happens in Hasidic literature, he was walking across a field, and mystical person that he was, he was overcome with the immensity, the intensity, and the intimacy of simply what it was to be alive. And in spite of all the things that had inhibited him to this point, he ran to the house of his senior spiritual master teacher And he said, I am alive and I have senses and limbs and somehow this all exists and I'm a part of it. And what is my meaning? What is my purpose? What am I good for? And the elder rabbi has kind of got a little smile on his face. Oh, you foolish rabbi. But he didn't say it in a diminishing way. Those are the exact same questions that I have been living with my entire life. I want you to come to my house tonight and we'll break bread and share dinner together. This is the truth of what happens. I believe firmly in my heart. And we kind of move and are moved by sometimes a force greater than ourselves to get beyond all that concern and all that fear and all that not wanting to risk vulnerability. And we can see in ourselves and in another person that hidden wholeness, that hidden holiness, that sacred flow of the soul that connects us to our own hearts and connects each to all. May this be a season of renewal for us here at Wellsprings. Amen.
May you live in blessing. Happy birthday, Wellsprings. And I love you. Let's pray together. Simply, spirit beyond all belief, formless and yet still taking on form, you are here in our midst expressing itself as renewal, as love, as faith, as the willingness to trust what we cannot control, sometimes to the point of that fear of letting go, and yet we let go for this love of life. And we find that life is bigger, more mysterious, more magical than we ever could have hoped. And it heals us and invites us on. And this life blesses us. Amen.